0: Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on Logistics Insights at maersk.com slash insights. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. In the movie The Matrix, the main character, Neo, is offered a choice between a red pill or a blue pill. The red pill represents reality, truth, and an uncertain future. The blue pill represents ignorance and living in the confined comfort that is the simulated reality of the matrix. Neo takes the red pill and escapes the matrix. My guest today is Jerome Myers, and he escaped the matrix, which is the confined comfort of corporate life. He is an engineer turned entrepreneur. He is building a successful business and helping other people do it as well. This is a powerful episode on leadership and why so many people are leaving the comfort of big companies to find their own way. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jerome Myers. Jerome is an engineer turned entrepreneur. After more than a decade working for big companies, Jerome decided to escape the corporate grind to chase his own dreams. He's the founder of the Myers Development Group, a property development company investing in multifamily buildings. He also teaches people how to get into the multifamily investing business through a program he developed called the Myers Methods. And if that wasn't enough, He also hosts the Dream Catchers podcast, where he interviews leaders and entrepreneurs who have escaped corporate life to chase their dreams. I was honored to be on his show last week, and I had a blast. I'm excited to have him on our show to talk about his journey and to talk about what he's learned about leadership along the way. So, Jerome, welcome to the show.
1: John, great to be with you this morning.
0: Yeah, it's great. Um, You know, it's funny, I was preparing for this podcast and I was looking at your background and you have a very interesting background. So you and I are are both engineers and we're both entrepreneurs, so we have a lot in common. So the first question I want to ask you is, why did you pursue originally a career in engineering? Why did you go to engineering school? And uh, I mean, that is, um, it takes a special person to want to become an engineer. It does. And
1: I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what an engineer was. out of somebody who drove a train until like my junior year of high school, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm the son of a stay-at-home mom and a soldier. And, you know, for me, the majority of people that I grew up around went into the military. I Mm. I grew up in North Carolina. And so that was kind of the path. You go be in the army and, you know, that's what our parents did. And so I was like, oh, well, my dad wanted me to go to West Point. And I was like, Mm. I don't think I want to do that. I don't have the courage for that. And so to get to your question, I went and asked my physics teacher and said, "Mr. Ayers, uh, I'm thinking about being a psychologist or an engineer. I don't know which one I would be better at." And he said, "Well, Jerome, they're both problem solving. One with people and one with numbers. Mm-hmm. And you'll be good with either one because you've been successful at both of these things. It's just a matter of what you think you'll be most be happy with." And I just kind of looked at him and was like, "Okay." And so then I thought back to a story that my mom told me when I was, well, it wasn't a story. It was guidance. I, I told my mom I wanted to be a trash man as a kid, right? So I was five. We were in the front yard and Lonnie would come hanging off the back of the trash truck and he put the trash in and he pulled the lever, John. He, I mean, hopefully other people get excited about that. I got super excited about it. <laughs> he pulled the lever, crushed the trash. And I was like, man, I want to be a trash man. And my mom said, well, that's probably not going to be able to, afford you the lifestyle you want to live, Jerome. Mm. I was like, when she called me J.C., I was like, what do you mean? It's like, I want to be outside. I want to play with big equipment. I want to be home at three o'clock when my kids get home. I want these things. And she said, yeah, but when you go to work, you got to be able to afford the lifestyle you want to live. And so I applied that against the guidance Mr. Ayers gave me. And I went to see what the starting salaries were for being a psychologist versus being an engineer. And engineer was probably twice as much so (laughs) yeah (laughs)
0: yeah. that path that's fantastic and uh I mean did you have like a math science background or just you know did it fit uh and, and and when you went into engineering school did you feel like you belong there I
1: so I was one of those gifted kids I was in the events uh programming in regular school. And then I attended a math and science academy on Saturdays. Mm. Uh, it was some program that some other people in church were in. And it was a, called a pre-college math and science engineering network program. And so I was doing that stuff kind of organically, just my parents keeping me busy. Not so much this was what I was super interested in or wanted to do, but I was strong in math and science. So yeah, it was a fit. Did I fit in? No, John. i mean, <laughs> engineer, man. I I enjoyed the application and the theory. And I'll be honest with you, all of my free electives in college were in the business school. Mm-hmm. So I did the minimum required for engineering. And then the rest of my time I was over in the college of business, learning about entrepreneurship and real estate. And, and I knew that was going to be my path at some point, but I had an engineering scholarship. So I was going to finish engineering school and was probably going to go into the career at some point.
0: Interesting. You know, I, I'm, we that's another thing we share in common. I'm an engineer with an MBA. So, you know, kind of moving from, and, and when I, when I went in the Navy, you know, as we talked in the last one I, on the last episode, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Naval officer that was on submarines but to get on a submarine as an officer, you had to come through the engine room. You had to become, you had to learn engineering first before you get to the front where all the action was, right? Or all the, you know, driving the, driving the boat and doing all the fun things that submarines do. It sounds like you, from the beginning, you said, okay, I mean, I'm an engineer because this is the scholarship I have. This is what I'm learning. But I'm really interested in the business side of things. You want to get to the front of the boat uh, as quick as you could, it sounded like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought I was going to jump on the engineering curve and get that high starting salary because a lot of business graduates don't make all that money right mm. out of school, right? And then I was going to jump over to the other curve. So I got the engineering degree, got the experience, then got an MBA too. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to move over and start applying my business skills. And uh-huh. Uh-huh. that uh, did not actually work out the way I thought it was going <laughs> But
0: anyway, <laughs> well, let's talk about that. So you, like most people, you 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 went to engineering school. You came out and you got a job at a at a big company, right? Um, you know, and then you were in. You worked for a number of different companies, you know, and then and then after about a decade or so, you decided that it was time to do something different. It sounds like as, as well as I look at your career path, you were kind of doing a side hustle during your 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 days working at, at big companies. Is that right?
1: Yeah, there were a bunch of different ones. I mean, I was coaching high school football after work and uh, was always toying with real estate, trying to figure it out, but not actually making the investment necessary to be successful in it. It was a hobby more than actually a business. And so towards the end there, I was lending money pretty regularly to people who were fixing and flipping. And I saw that as probably a viable path going forward, but I needed to scale and Mm. I didn't really... Again, have access to a network of people who were doing that type of stuff. So I didn't know how to do it and started asking questions, but still wasn't getting the traction I needed in order to be successful there.
0: Hmm. At what moment did you feel like it was time that <clears throat> your your side hustle you you were you were developing and you were working it? It was it was becoming big enough where you could say, uh, you know, I'm gonna leave the security of, of companies with their, you know, their bonuses and their health plans and all these wonderful things and these chances for promotion. And I'm going to do this on my own. At what point was that?
1: Yeah. So if I'm honest, it wasn't, I want to do this more than I want to do that. It was, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm. I was fortunate enough to build a $20 million division for a fortune 550 as my last role in corporate america the reward from taking it from two employees to 175 in about 8 months and producing 6 million dollars in profit by the end of the year was laying people off mm. it was the first time i was the guy that had to lay people off and i was totally against it i didn't really understand it and i remember hanging up the phone christmas eve or getting hung up on on christmas eve honestly talking to my supervisor and him saying Jerome we're going to lay people off you either decide who we're going to keep or somebody will decide for you. Mm. And, you know, you go back to the playground. He's like, if I can be captain of the team, then I'm going to pick my team, right? I'm not going to let somebody else pick my team and then make me have to deal with it. And the reality of the situation is it wasn't my decision, right? I didn't have control over that. And so I went through it, spent Christmas Eve through New Year's getting this thing done. And I promised myself, hey, I'll never do this again. Hey, nobody's going, we're just going to be that good. We won't ever have to worry about this. And fast forward to Thanksgiving of the next year, it's the day before we break for the holiday. And hey guys, don't go out and spend your money on Black Friday. We're going to make some more changes. And I knew then I was done. It was like, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm leaving, I'm dropping out. There's too many things. And I didn't want to be beholden to the shareholders anymore. I wanted to do the right things for the right reasons, and I didn't feel like we were doing that at that juncture. So I was leaving that.
0: So it really, it was how how your company treated people that was a big issue for you? Without question.
1: I felt like those people were doing all the things that they could do in order for us to be successful. Um I spent more time with them than I spent with my own family, right? Mm-hmm. So the, in essence, they were family for me and not because I had to, but because I enjoyed them. Uh, we spent a lot of time on leadership development and growing. And honestly, it was as close as I could get to be an entrepreneur without making the jump and taking that initial pay cut and trying to figure out how to spin up. And so for me, it was a great experience, but it was heart-wrenching to have to do things that were directed by other people who weren't engaged in the actual sausage making. Mm. Like, easy to fly in with your cape when you haven't done anything in order to produce the sausage and mm-hmm. say, oh, no, yeah, the sausage is really good. Just kind of throw it away. It's like, no, we're doing a lot of great things here. We're making a huge impact and we're getting solid feedback from the people that we're serving. So we're actually we're obviously accomplishing the mission. And oh, by the way, we're profitable, too. I just don't know what else you can ask for, with no safety incidents, by
0: the way. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really bizarre. I, I, I was, I wrote an article a while back about about, you know, about leadership and people, and and somebody wrote back a comment on, on the article, and i I'll, ne- I'll never forget it. He said that my entire time at corporate, when I worked in corporate, I felt like nothing more than a number on a spreadsheet that some accountant in some back room was trying to eliminate. And it sounds like you experienced that uh basically, they told you, all right, now you got to take cost out, you got to take these people out, regardless of the fact that they just they're the ones that have brought the rewards to the company the the the, the orders the revenue the profit oh get just get rid of them at christmas time even and 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 thanksgiving the holidays, yeah,
1: I mean. Let me be clear about something. Like, I had 3,000 square miles of territory that we were covering. I had just about all of Eastern Virginia from Williamsburg all the way to the water, north of I 64, about 10 miles all the way down to the Carolina line. There was no way that I was going to do that by myself. We needed a great team and we were doing pretty complex projects. I mean, we had 400 projects in queue at one point. And it's just like, how do you work through that without having amazing folks? And, you know, were there hiccups? Of course. But, you know, we were accomplishing the overall mission and meeting all of the objectives that were laid out for us. So for me, it, it was a really hard pill to swallow. I believe in performance. I believe in rewarding people for their performance. And I think the one slight that I took personal was going in and asking for a raise and being told I was already overpaid. I was like, mm. Well, if you're overpaying me and I just made you 30% profit margin, you would think that there might be a little bit in it for me, right? But, you know, when you start piling all those things up, it, it becomes really difficult to swallow that pill.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, I had a hard time swallowing it too. That's why I'm an entrepreneur and that's why you're an entrepreneur. So, so tell us about the, uh, the Myers Development Group. What do you guys do? What, what, what's, what's the organization all about?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people who are landlords and they're ready to retire. And so, but their net worth is trapped in the property. And so we help people unlock that equity. And many of them don't want to deal with brokers. They don't want to do a bunch of tours. They just want to divest of the property quietly and allow somebody else to take care of it. And for us, we want to come in, make a huge impact on the community and so we allow, allow or help those people retire by taking those properties who probably need a little bit of work off their hands and give them their time and freedom back and get to really enjoy the rewards of, you know, building a portfolio, improving the value and being able to exit with, you know, some and unlock their wealth.
0: Mm. And it's been uh, perfect right from day one, right? Everything went smooth?
1: no. <laughs> Tons of, tons and tons of false starts and missteps and struggles, but, you know, we keep persisting and every day we get smarter. And, you know, it's, you talked about some of the stuff earlier that we do, Myers Methods is a result of that. I don't believe that there's actually competition in a multifamily space. I think there may be really small windows where you compete with somebody to buy a deal, but outside of that, we're not competitors, you know? Your folks are going to go live in one place. There's some other folks who's going to live. We're not competing for the same tenants. We're not competing for the same deals the vast majority of the time. So helping everybody improve, I think, improves the overall state of where people live. Because at the end of the day, that's their most precious environment, right? Home, especially now um is the most precious environment you can have. And if we can make a positive impact that way, then you know, I think it's all for worth it. Cause I mean it's been a ton of sacrifice and struggle.
0: That's great. I'm I'm really that's one thing I really saw that I admire about you is that not only did you figure it out, right? Figure out how to how to do this, how to invest in these multifamily buildings, how to build a portfolio, how to get these things you know, help, you know, you, but you developed a methodology through that, you know, trial and error, but then you didn't hide it and keep it to yourself. You said here world, here's, here's what I learned and here's how you can do it. Here's the, here's the way to do it. And you teach that through your method and through your, you, you have, I have a podcast talking about this, uh, uh, how to do this. And uh I think it's great. I mean, and you say, you know, you say we're not competitors. Maybe you might be on one deal or so, but you, you're, you know, you're trying to make the whole situation better. You're trying to, you're trying, you know, like a, they say, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? You're trying to say, let's, let's raise, let's elevate the, the performance of this type of uh, investing. So I really commend you for wanting to share that uh, knowledge and experience, because I think some people will say, well, that's my competitive edge. I'm going to keep that, all that hard earned uh, knowledge I have, I'm, I'm going to keep it to myself. But you say, no, I'm going to share it with the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, John, I, I was sitting on the stoop sophomore year of college with my buddy, Duran, and, you know, engineering students do math in their free time, and that's what we were doing, right? And I was paying three ninety five. I had two roommates doing the same thing, and downstairs, the same thing was happening in his unit, right? So then we started really doing math, and we, I think I pulled out my calculator at this point, and I realized the guy was making $700,000 a year, right? Never seen him, never talked to him, had had no idea how he did it, but I knew that I wanted to do that because he figured out how to decouple his time for money. And when you can do that, I think you can create huge, huge impact and wealth. And so it took me a long time to get back there, but we did it, right? We're we're doing that. And then when I got there, I thought to myself, hey, where are the next Duran and Jerome going to learn how to do this? And is it going to take them over a decade to figure it out? And so now we can compress the time and give them the opportunity to do the same things and avoid a lot of the mistakes that I've made, right? Because there's no reason for you to go make the same mistake I made, ever. Like, that's just backwards and it's certainly not leadership.
0: I love it. Um, I like what you just said there because I think that it's really important. Um, And a lot of people who are thinking about being an entrepreneur is they, they don't understand this one concept. And I want to repeat what you just said. You said you realized that your landlord had figured out how to decouple his time from money. And I think most people think that, oh, I want to earn some money on the side, so they take an Uber job, or they do they do something where they're where they're trading money or time for money. And you're saying you tried you saw right away that this guy had figured out how to decouple his time from the money he earned. And that's really powerful. And as an entrepreneur, that's something people that are listening to this podcast, that's a really magical moment right there when you figure that out. And um, I know uh, for me, at least that's been one of the most powerful things I ever learned was figuring out how to decouple time for money.
1: It allows you to actually build wealth. If you, if, if you have to be there for it to happen, then you're just have a job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's absolutely true. And so I love it. You're you're you've learned these things, you're teaching other people and you don't want you don't want the the next guy uh, to to take 10 years to figure it out. And I think that's that that's magical. And I really love to hear that. What about you yourself personally? What did you learn about yourself from a leadership perspective during the journey? Because you went from being in in, you know, a big company or a corporate life where everything was sort of programmed in control. You know, there's there's. You know, there's tools, there's techniques, there's methods, right? Everybody has to follow the rules, right? To where you're outside on your own, no rules, no, no, you can do anything you want. Um, So what did you learn about leadership during that transition from, you know, a controlled environment to freedom? I think the biggest
1: thing is there's more people watching than you'll ever know. And Mm -hmm. so your stated values and your actions must align. And as soon as those things align, the magic starts to happen. Mm-hmm. Anytime there's a disconnect between those two, you're going to be stagnant. It's going to feel like you're spinning your wheels. But as soon as you can mate your actions and your stated values, life begins to happen for you.
0: So you're, uh, that's, and that's, and it's all about authenticity, right? When you're, when your stated values are this and you act in that manner, people see you as authentic. You, you are who you say you are. And I like what you say there too, that, uh, people are watching you. I had, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and, and it was a commander of a submarine and he said, leadership is theater. He said, everyone is watching you at all times. And you just, you just confirm that. And it's very true. They, they listen to what you say, they watch what they, you do, and they're looking for that consistency. Is he the, is he or she, the person who they say they are.
1: Yeah. And that consistency leads to predictability and that predictability leads to trust. Right. Mm. And so the quicker that you can build trust with folks is it's the grease. It's the oil on the wheel. Right. If you don't have that, then people are always second guessing, wondering, Hey, can I actually, for me, invest with this guy? Can I actually trust this guy to teach me how to do what he said I can do? Like Those things especially when people use sarcasm and some of the other things to complicate things, right? Just make it super simple and then do what you say. If mm. you do those two things, people can get excited about working with you because in a world that is super complicated, convoluted, um, trying to figure out what's true and what's not, when they know they can come to a place and get it, it's refreshing. And they mm. really want to spend more time there.
0: That's great. I think you, you just touched something that I think most people don't realize um, because I, I think if I, if I, if, if I'll put, I'll put some words in your mouth. <laughs> it said, you said leadership is about trust, but so is selling. It's about trust. Oh. And people want to be part of your organization because they trust you. And do, you, do your do your actions as a company uh, match your values, not just leadership, but, but your, you, the way your company performs in the market? And so when you build that trust, more people want to come and and be a part of your company.
1: Without question. And before you go and share your message with the world, you better make sure that you're actually living out the message that you're going to share. Mm. As soon as you put an incongruent message out there, everything erodes and evaporates, and then you have to undo the damage that was done. And so... Going back to trust, you know, trust is earned over time for a lot of people, but can be damaged in one interaction. We'll be right back after a
0: quick word from our sponsors is your boss a jerk i understand you're in the hospital but i'm gonna need you to come in today do they lack any ability to actually lead people oh it's fine i'll, I'll just find somebody else that can do it okay john is offering a new service just for you for only ten dollars he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book i have the watch to your boss with a personal note go to i and enter the discount code boss at checkout You know, all the statistics show that um, people <clears throat> people are more engaged in business if they trust their their manager, their leader, and if you build that level of trust, they're much more uh, likely to be engaged. And what's interesting is you told us the story earlier about your life in in corporate, where they you know asked you to let go of people, and then they did it I did it again a year later. So your level of trust for your boss or your even the organization. Was was eroded, and that's one of the reasons you said I've got to get out of here, right?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I had three different people that I reported to in you know ten or twelve months. It was yeah. bad, right? Because how do you actually build a relationship with folks, especially when you're not in the same place, right? I had one person I was working for in Texas, another was in Kansas City, and then I had one working in Raleigh, and I was in Virginia. And so we would talk pretty infrequently, and I would see them maybe once a quarter. And so you spin all that up and it's like, okay, every time you show up, something is going wrong. So, but when you're not here, I feel like we're in heaven. I don't know what's wrong, but I need to change something about this situation. It's not
0: me. It's you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's interesting. You, you, It sounds like you've had the same, very similar experience I did in corporate. I just felt like I don't know. I think we said it on, on your podcast. I said it was like lifeless and soulless and, and, and people didn't matter. And it was really hard for me as, as someone who enjoys being around people and, and, and builds those relationships to be able to implement kind of ideas that I didn't believe in. And it, it, after a while, it kind of takes away from your soul. You're just like, I, I'm doing things that I don't believe in. And at some point, you have to say, I, I can't do this anymore. It goes against my personal principles. I've got to try to figure out how to do this on my own.
1: Back to those stated of values, John. And the other thing I'll add on that is just that, you know, we've lost the humanity in our interactions, right? We're, we're robots and, you know, oh, it's just business. No, it's not. It's not just business. There's people doing these transactions. There's people being impacted, including not just the people that work with you, but the people who are tied to them. And the thing that I'm probably least proud about, but still kind of carry a little bit to this day is one of the folks that we laid off was unable to get another job, Mm -hmm. lost his house, his wife left. And in the end, he committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And Part of me feels like I set that plan in motion because at the end of the day, it was my calling who stayed and who left. Right. Did I pull the trigger? No. But did I make a decision that adversely impacted him that catapulted or, you know, knocked over a bunch of other dominoes? Absolutely. And so that's the price of leadership. Right. It's making those decisions. And I don't take it lightly when I have to make an uncomfortable choice. But at least now I have, I get to make it in alignment with my stated values. There are times when people have gotten paid and I haven't gotten paid Mm -hmm. or I've paid a customer to finish the project because I wanted to make sure that, you know, our goodwill, because I felt like my name and my brand was more important than the money. Right. And so, you know, I don't want anybody to take it with a grain of salt and only see the upside of being the leader or owner. Right there's a lot of downside, and people try to skirt around that. But the people who are going to build massive businesses that have huge impacts on the world aren't living that way.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful. I I I, I really like what you're saying there. I, I you know I mean you know I've I've said uh, leadership is a people business. That's what I talk about all the time. And uh, and everybody's hurting. Everybody's got struggles outside of work and. And what we do affects them, you know, what we say affects them, how how we treat them affects them. And, uh, and it's just not them, it's their family and everything else. And um, so I think um, we have to be careful as leaders, because we do carry that burden of, uh, of command. And, you know, we have to look out for that. And we have to realize that something you say at the wrong time could really affect a person's life. And it sounds like you've, you've had a very, that's a... Your experience probably left a, a deep. Uh, it's, it's it's very deep because you really you've seen that real time how how your actions affect people and and, and that's uh, and that's something that uh, fortunately for me is now I've never had to learn that lesson I've never had to experience that but that has got to be very hard to to go through.
1: It's traumatic, you know, and we walk through and it's, take these traumatic experiences and act like they're okay. But you know, I had to make a shift and move out of the space where I was exposed to that type of risk. It's kind of like being in a war zone from my perspective and no disrespect to the true heroes who've gone to other countries and defended America, but You know, when people lose their lives based on a decision you made, whether you're the commander sending them into war or you're somebody who's deciding that this person needs to go find another way to earn their living. And they just maybe don't have the skills to go do that at that point because of all the things that are happening in their world. It's tough. Mm It's super tough. And so, you know, if you if you have to deal with that or going through that, I absolutely encourage people to get the support that they need to process that. So that they can move to that next place.
0: Mm, yeah, that's really, that's really important. So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about uh, the Dreamcatchers podcast, because I was really fascinated by what you're doing there. So you are interviewing leaders and entrepreneurs, people that have escaped the matrix, as you call it, which I absolutely love that, and uh, have, have set out on their own and created their own business, their own, uh, and done it on their own terms. What are some things that you you're learning about uh, these people as you as you as you interview them? Are there some characteristics that are common amongst them? Are, are you seeing anything from a leadership perspective? What are some what are some um, observations you have about the people that have made that switch? Yeah. So for
1: the people who are listening to this, they may not be able to see that I have a shirt on that says I took the red pill. And it's based on the data that we've collected from doing over 100 interviews. In fact, your episode was in hundred number 100. So, 100, yes. <laughs> right. So the, the red pill is more than an ode to The Matrix, the movie that came out in like 1999. It is a way of living. And so all the people that are successful once they exit The Matrix do six things. One, they start working on themselves. They redefine themselves. They work on their self-image, get the relationship with their internal values, morals, compass together. From there, they move out into the relationships around them and make sure that they're dealing with mutually beneficial relationships. Oftentimes, when you have a self-image that's not locked in place and solid, You allow people to just take from you because you don't feel like you have enough value in order for the relationship to be reciprocal. When those relationships start working well and you're surrounded with the right people, it grows your influence, right? It grows the work the career, the impact that you can have through the work that you do on a daily basis. And so those three things we consider the nucleus. And once you get your nucleus right, you're able to move on to your health. And so you'll see people, you know, they may gain weight because they're stressed out or they may be doing things that aren't the best for their health while they're trying to iron out those three things in the nucleus. And so they work on that stuff next. And you'll normally see them, they're fit. They're smiling. You see them beaming with this energy. And so that's the health piece. And you hear about their morning routines and stuff like that, because they're investing in themselves on a daily basis, becoming better, but not at the self-image level, at the, I'm going to improve my health level. From there, that's kind of the gas on the fire. And then they become prosperous. And so they struggle. They were trying to figure it out. There were times when they didn't get paid and they end up being super prosperous. They have that prosperity piece. And because they do the self, um, the health work, you know, those morning routines and things, they usually have an abundance mindset. And so that just leads to more prosperity and being willing to share. And that flows into from that prosperity. Now they have a full cup. They're overflowing. They're abundant. They're going to significance now. And they're sharing what they've learned and they're sharing what they earned with other people so that they can begin that process of, right-sizing their self-image and going through the relationships and it's just a cycle that perpetuates itself and so I tell people that I took the red pill because the change starts within and then it radiates out right and in doing that you make a positive impact on the world and I believe we have to be the change that we want to see and it all comes back full circle right to your stated values aligning with your actions
0: wow that was really powerful (laughs) I'm just writing all this stuff down. I think about my own personal journey and that's what it is. I mean, that's what I've been doing. And, um, uh, some people ask me why I have a podcast. Why do I share what I've learned about leadership? It's like, I just want to share it. I want to, I want to teach people what I, uh, show them the pitfalls that I've had over the years. I've done been doing this for 30 years. I want to help young people to not make the mistakes I made. Very interesting. So, um, Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. I'm the, I'm the morning routine guy. I'm the every morning in the gym, every morning writing. So it's really interesting. So you, you have, you have hit, hit what I do personally. And I'm, it's really exciting that you have met a hundred people that are have doing are doing the same type of thing. And they are, they took the red pill and they started from within and then it radiates out really, really powerful. Wow. That's great. Um, so let's, um, you know, um, why do you think, and this is just kind of an interesting question, um, with respect to your show and dream catcher, catchers and the people that you talk to, what, what's been the, the most common reason why people decided to escape the matrix that they decided to take the red pill in the first place. Is there a common thread amongst the reasons why people decide to leave the comfort of The corporate world for the unknown of of being an entrepreneur?
1: I think somebody pulled back the veil and they saw that the American dream that we're taught as kids wasn't real, right? You're climbing the ladder as fast as you can and you get to the top and you realize, hey, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. You start asking those contrarian questions. Is this it? Is this all that I'm going to do? Am I just going to work for 40 years so that I can try to retire and spend five or 10 years when I'm old and uh, not in great health? Or can I have time and location freedom now? And when they have that dichotomy or they get impacted by some form of layoff or something like that, where there's a transition, then they, they move from that place of pain where it's, it's not as bad. And one of my favorite stories is there's a farmer standing on the front porch, and one of his buddies walks up, and the dog is just kind of laying over there. And it'll, every now and then, Rrr! and it's be quiet for a while, and the farmer, farmer's buddy will say, Hey, what's wrong with your dog? He's like, Oh, he's laying on an old rusty nail, and he says, So, what did you get up? And he's like, Oh, it doesn't hurt bad enough yet. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They're just there, right? They, they're numb. They're not enjoying it, but it pays the bill and they're accepting the status quo. And then something happens and it gives them a jolt and they're like, okay, enough of this. I'm done. I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do. And I'll figure out how to make it monetized so that I can enjoy the life that I deserve to live.
0: I love it. I love it. And that's so that's, that's me in a nutshell, too. So it, uh, in fact, I I, re, I I tell people that it wasn't until I was an entrepreneur that I realized that I didn't like corporate life. And it was almost like being like, you realize you were in a bad relationship. And you didn't know it at the time until you get out of the relationship. And you're like, Oh, that was not a good relationship. That was not healthy. And you realize it afterwards. It's like, Oh, that wasn't. Yeah, that wasn't good for me. You know, I was, I was selling my soul to to keep you know, just to stay in the corporate game and to keep advancing. Into, and it's not good. It's not healthy. So, yeah. Without
1: question. I mean, people kind of look at battered women and ask why they stay. And it's just, hey, I've modified my behavior so that I can cope. I've modified my behavior so that I can exist in that space. And then once you get free of that torment, you realize, hey, that's not right. Yeah. That's not how it's yeah. supposed to be. And then, yeah you modify the behavior because you're in a safe place now and it's, it's okay to be open. It's okay to be loving and free instead of cowering and worrying about what's going to happen or not making that courageous decision that you know is best long range, but has adverse short-term impacts.
0: Mm. Uh, that's, so, that's so good. So you, you've touched on it before. So I'm going to ask you this in your opinion, what are some characteristics of a great leader?
1: Yeah, I think the most important one is authenticity, right? You pulled that word out and, and stole it from me. So <laughs> I'm going to bring it back and say it so that it's on record that I believe authenticity is it, right? People are looking for somebody they can trust so that they can follow them. The only way that people trust you is if you're predictable. And so how do you become predictable? You tell them what you're going to do and then you do it. If you tell people what you're going to do and you do it, then you will have a great relationship with them, at least from your end to them. Now you want that reciprocated, but you can only control yourself. And so absolutely encourage you, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's what you can expect me to do. Follow through and then make sure that they know that you follow through. And if you do those things, you're going to be one of the best leaders in the country. And it's kind of a low bar, but the fact of the matter is there are very few people who follow through on their commitments. Right. And so those people who do rise to a level of leadership and uh, regard that others won't ever be able to. And the only other thing I'll, I'll tie in with that, because a lot of people are doing entrepreneurship thing is persistency and consistency and they're different words, but for me, they mean the same thing. You keep going, right? You don't give up. You're going to ha- encounter some challenges. You probably aren't going to have the same framework and structure that you had when you were in somebody else's organization that's been established for a long time. And that's okay. You're, you're creating your own culture. You're creating your own systems and processes. And so in doing that, you're going to have to do some experimentation to figure out what works. You know, there was one story that I was told is like every rule is a rule because something happened and then people decided that it was going to be a rule. And the thing that I've learned the hard way, I was in a pretty bad car accident where a dump truck crossed the center line and hit me head on. Mm. It was been okay if he crossed the center line and I wasn't coming at 50 miles per hour. Right. Those rules are applicable over a certain frame. And there are times where people can violate the rules and nothing happens. But when they do, at the wrong time, bad things can happen. And I think it's important for leaders to understand the frame so that they can make sure that the decision-making thought process that they're using is against the right assumptions. You know, we're engineers, right, John? We got to make some assumptions in order to solve a problem. We won't know all the things. But make sure that you're making some great assumptions. If you, if you make bad assumptions, people die is the way that I characterize it in the most simplest form. And so I'm looking for people to do that really, you know, say who they are, do what they're going to do and let people know that they did it, uh, stay consistent and persistent and then make sure that they understand the frame that they're making decisions against. And if you do those things, I think you're going to be an exceptional leader. powerful,
0: good stuff. Really good stuff. So, so what's next for you, Jerome? What are you working on next?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, probably the most exciting thing in apartments is we're building 120 units in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm working through the process there; it's the biggest project to date, and partner with some amazing folks who are going to, you know, guide us through that process and walk with us. Um, I think on outside of that, though, I'm a coach at heart, right? I, I want to help people get. To that place that they're trying to go to. And so our coaching practice is growing pretty aggressively and we're working with people one on one and helping them figure out what their stated values are, getting that clear, really clear, and then helping them walk through the process of being able to live those out so that they can attract the people to them that they need and just really walking them through that red pill, right? Going from self-image to relationships, to work, health, prosperity, and then significance. If we can do that for you know the people that come to us, I think we'll have this amazing ripple effect that goes across the world. And at the end of the day, that's my game plan is to make a big impact on the world through other people living the life that they should live instead of accepting something that was presented to them.
0: Mm. I guarantee you will. I mean, uh, everything you've said here is just powerful. And I know that uh, you also live out these values, too. So uh, you will make an impact. There will be ripples and there will be positive uh, impact from what you're doing. So I'm really, really excited to hear what you're what you're working on and how you're applying that methodology. Really, really good stuff. So how can people find out more about you, learn about your company, your podcast? you know, the coaching services you offer, How? what's the best way to find out more about you?
1: Yeah, I would love if your listeners would be kind enough to jump over to Dreamcatchers and subscribe. I, I think they'll enjoy the stories and hopefully they can pick up some tips and techniques in order to help them on their journey. And that, you know, just allows us to hang out for a while and get to know each other better. Uh, Website-wise, they can go over to Co. So J-E-R-O-M-E-M-Y-E-R-S dot C-O. And there you can find out everything that we have going on. We talk about our coaching program. We talk about some of our real estate education and our live events. We've even got some books over there. So they can go over there and find out whatever what's their whistle. And if they want a cool red pill t-shirt, it's there. (laughs) I saw that.
0: (laughs) I need one. I have to get one. So, Well, very good. We'll put all the links to to all your resources in the show notes so people can uh, reach out, find you. And again, I encourage you to get to the Dreamcatchers podcast. and and subscribe to that one it's it's really good I've been listening to episodes and uh, I really like your uh the the uh, the the questions you ask everyone and it's it it really it's 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 you get a lot of insight through the way you uh interview the your guests so I really I think you do a wonderful job and I love it so Dreamcatcher's podcast and take take a look at that one it's great Thanks, John. I appreciate that. And
1: this episode is unique to any of the other ones I've done. So I can't wait to share this content with our network.
0: Now, oh, that's great. Well, guys, uh, so people are listening. I hope you really enjoyed this. There's a lot of powerful stuff. So listen, listen through it and think about the things that Jerome talked about. I really liked what he talked about Um in terms of authenticity and make sure your words match your state of value. I think being predictable, being persistent and consistent, these are really, really powerful messages for leaders. And, um, you know, I think, and, and the other thing is, you know, the idea he just talked about with trading time with money, you know, how can you disconnect those two things? How can you make money without actually putting the time in or having to physically be there? So there's some magic in there. Those of you who are entrepreneurs, Look for that little nugget of wisdom right there because that was powerful. So Jerome, I really appreciate all the wisdom you shared and uh, just having you on the show has been been great. So thank you for coming on board. Thanks, John. I really appreciate the opportunity. Look forward to continuing to develop our relationship. I I agree. And I look forward to it as well. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Deep Leadership Podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying, take care and lead well.
1: Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do.
1: We hope you enjoy today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care.
0: Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices.